Happy Daylight Savings, everyone. You all made it. Congratulations. How's everyone doing today? Good? Awesome. All right. Well, uh, oh, there we go. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. We are continuing our sermon series in the wonderful book of Ephesians. Quick recap of Ephesians is Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul around 62 AD when he was imprisoned in Rome. And he's writing to believers in Ephesus and around Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. It was a coastal city, but it's very pagan. Ephesus was very pagan. If you read Acts 19, the founding story of how Ephesus started and how the gospel came to Ephesus, uh, it came in conflict. It came in warfare. And it came at a cost for these Ephesian believers. So at the time that Paul is writing this uh, letter is uh, from 52 to 55 AD, roughly, he was in Ephesus. And so this is roughly about seven to eight years after he planted these churches in and around Ephesus. And these believers are probably facing persecution, uh, financial insecurity in regards to um, burning like $6 million worth of assets that they used to have and and in regards to witchcraft and all that stuff. So that's the broader context. And if you've been with us um, the past couple weeks, as we've been going through uh, Ephesians 1, moving at a snail's pace verse by verse, which is awesome, uh, because you can't, you got to take your time with Ephesians, man. It's a fine wine. It's a, it's a good, freshly roasted coffee. You can't rush it, okay? So if you've been with us, we know that we've been in this section kind of known as like Paul's prayer or Paul's song to start out this letter. So he does some brief greetings and salutations, and then he busts out into praise. And he says, blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption, and so on and so forth, right? So he just cries out in praise and, and gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And if we were to title... Uh, Paul's song of praise, it would be this title, In Him We Have. In Christ Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Last week, our text started out with In Him We Have. Guess how our text in verse 11 starts out today? In Him You Also Have, right? So today is a continuation of the song, of all the glorious things that Christ has given us through his death and his resurrection, that he, he purchased for us through his suffering, through his blood, through his tears, um, that he purchased for us so that we, in our suffering, have the hope of this great salvation, that there is glory coming, which is the point of our sermon today, is uh, a secure in- in- inheritance is what awaits us in Christ Jesus. A secure inheritance is what awaits us in Christ Jesus. And maybe <clears throat> some of you have been here, and you are like me, and you love to study scripture, especially Paul's letters. You like to slow down, unpack the implications of one word and the Greek and all that stuff, right? And you've gained lots of understanding in this letter, which is great. I'm not knocking on knowledge. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, okay? However, why we're here is not to know a letter. We're to believe in the hope of the gospel. And so for us today, it's not just about gleaning understanding But if we don't actually believe what is being said is true for our lives, our lives won't look any different. The gospel changes our lives when it moves from here to here. And then it moves forth in praise to God saying, Lord, thank you. This is actually what I possess in Christ Jesus. Uh, God is, I'm at peace with God. I'm forgiven of my trespasses and I have this beautiful inheritance. So um, does anyone like me have an inner Debbie Downer? Yeah, 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 you chuckle, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, here's the thing about your inner Debbie Downer. Any future amazing thing that's happening, right, 
All it takes is Debbie Downer just comes and just whispers a little bit of a, yeah, but, right? And it ruins the present joy, the present hope that you have in that future reality. So, oh, you just got a new job? That's amazing. But then inner Debbie Downer comes and says, yeah, but, like, what if you get fired and they don't like you, you know? Oh, you got that vacation coming up? Well, yeah, but what if your car catches on fire on the way there? You know, like, just like stupid things. That yeah, but thinking. And that, yeah, that, that inner Debbie Downer ruins our joy in Christ. That Debbie Downer, um, uh, and, and, and we could, we could uh, maybe we'll talk in Ephesians 6 about who's the source of that Debbie Downer, you know. Uh, but that ruins the hope of a reality that's coming no matter what. And so today is all about our future inheritance in Christ Jesus. That this is sure, it's secure, it's paid in full. God is giving it to us. He's going to see it through to completion. And today what I want to hone in on is for us to be a people who are confident in our God. To leave here and say, say talk to the hand in her Debbie Downer. I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm not going to be an unbelieving believer but I believe this is true. And because that inheritance is coming, I know something better is coming. And that future hope is going to change my present reality. And it's going to remove the death grip I have on my possessions. It's going to remove the death grip anxiety and fear has on me because I know that something far more glorious, more than I can comprehend is coming. And that is what the, the watching world needs is the Christians to rise up actually believing what the Holy Spirit is saying in the word about what we truly possess in Christ Jesus so that we don't chase after what the world chases after because we have another world that we're seeking. So let me read this text and then we'll pray and dive in. Oh, <clears throat> before I say that. No, no, we're going to read this and dive in. I'll get back to that. All right. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. As you can tell, I got a little something going on with my throat, <clears throat> and so pray for me. Uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the fir first to hope in Christ, Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Bless you. <clears throat> Father, we slow down. We wait a little bit. We linger. We prepare our hearts to hear your word. We're all here because of you. All things were created by you and for you. Lord, we exist for you. We exist for your delight. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And I pray the prayer Paul prays, Lord, in verse 18 of Ephesians 1, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may know what is rightfully ours, God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd wash away the lies, God, you would expose the lies of Debbie Downer, Debbie Doubter in our lives as nonsense. And Lord God, that today we would leave here changed by your word, by your truth, and by your spirit. And we would have confidence that no matter what suffering we're going through, no matter what uncertainty we're going through, what we know is truly certain is that you've gone before us and you've prepared a place for us. And that's where our hope lies. We have no hope in Ephesus. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Ephesus is fading away. Christ is forever reigning and ruling. And therefore, we will give you praise forever because our inheritance is your presence forever. 
So we thank you, God. And today I pray, Lord, you would receive the praise that's due your name. All of this, it says in our text twice, was to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your glory. And so will we leave here as we behold the glory of your grace, the, the revelation of your nature and, and your work in us in Christ Jesus, that we, we would return all things back to you in gratitude and praise and adoration, and that you would warm hard and cold hearts to you, God, today by your gospel and by your truth, God. You'd waken us up to the reality of how good we have it in you, Christ Jesus, and that our joy would be secure in Christ and not in Ephesus, Lord God. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way. I rejoice that in weakness you can manifest your strength. So I pray, Lord, that in my weakness, Lord God, you would manifest your strength and that you would increase and I would decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, twice in our text, Paul mentions an inheritance. It says, in him we have also obtained an inheritance. And so what is he talking about there? It's really simple. He's talking about, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about all the future blessings that Jesus has secured for us, i.e. eternal life and glorified bodies in the new heavens and earth, enjoying the presence of God forever. And the main thrust of uh, the message today, what I'm hoping to get after, is that is the secure nature of this inheritance, that we have a secure inheritance, not insecure, not uh, a, a perishable inheritance, but it is secure. And my hope today is that by the preaching of the word, through the Holy Spirit, that fresh faith would be instilled in us today, that that day is coming where we will receive in fullness what Christ has purchased for us. And so the three points of my talk this morning, if you're taking notes, are this. Our inheritance is secure because it's God's work and his will and not ours. Secondly, our inheritance is secure because it's our rightful due as sons and daughters of our Father. And lastly, it's our inheritance is secure because it's already been pledged to us by our Father. So verse uh, point number one, our inheritance is secure because it's his will and work and not ours. So if you look at verse 11, it clearly lays out this beautiful phrase. In him we have obtained an inheritance. According, how did we get this? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about predestination. If you uh, haven't listened to that sermon, please listen to all the sermons on the website, or you can do it on Apple, Apple, Apple Podcasts. They build on one another, especially as we go verse by verse. I'm not going to spend too much time uh, unpacking that mystery there of God's sovereignty and man's free will. What I want to hone in on is this, this for, the, for our intents and purposes this morning, is that the reason we've obtained an inheritance is due to God's work and God's will and not our own. So in purely naturalistic terms, in the natural, if you receive an inheritance from someone, that word right there means somebody else worked really hard and acquired something that you didn't work for. That's what an inheritance is. You don't contribute to an inheritance. Sometimes before you were even born, people were working and building up an inheritance that they were going to give to you, i.e., he chose us before him in the fountain. Okay, go in there. So not only is an inheritance somebody else's work that you, somebody else's work that you don't contribute to, but then it's somebody else's will. You know as well as I do that somebody north of you, like your grandparents, they work. They maybe acquired something, right? Uh, maybe if, if anyone here, you know, your your dad's Jeff Bezos. You know, good for you. You know, whatever. Like you got a big inheritance coming, right? And uh, the will is this: the person who acquires that wealth, they get to write and decide who they're going to give this to, who they're going to share this with. And so off the bat, when we see this one word talking 
about inheritance, immediately, if we've received it, we understand that we had nothing to do with receiving it. Because Jesus Christ worked for it. Jesus Christ paid for it. And then God the Father, before the foundation of the world, he chose where it was going to go, is what Paul is saying. So therefore, it's secure because it's not up to my work and my will. It's somebody else's work and somebody else's will. Right? I don't know about you doing DIY projects at the house or some things where you're like, okay, I could watch some YouTube videos, figure this out, but I don't really trust in my work. I don't really trust in my decision-making process. But there's some people that you can call and be like, I trust them because it's not my work, it's not my will, it's their work, their will. And you trust them and you see that, yeah, it's, it's in good hands. So our inheritance is good hands because it's never been in our hands until Christ uh, uh, gave it to us. And so the only reason we've received this inheritance of eternal glory is because God the Father gave the Son first on our behalf. And the Son worked perfectly on our behalf, living the perfect life, dying the death that we deserve for our sins, rising to new life and reigning forever in the heavenly realms. He acquired this inheritance. He acquired your salvation. He paid uh, uh, your ransom to bring about your redemption from your slavery to sin and the tyranny of the demonic. He's, he's, he's acquired all of this, and then he chose who'd he bestow that inheritance upon. And so what I'm getting at with this is if it's his work and his will, then we have every right as the people of God not to look inwardly about whether we're going to receive this inheritance or not, but faith is extrospective. It's not introspective. Extrospective means faith is I stop looking at myself, I stop navel-gazing, and I look to Jesus Christ, I look to the cross, I look to God, I look to his character, I look to his promises, I look to his faithfulness, and that's my hope. And not myself. It's him. That's my hope, that we would be a people confident in our God and that we'd shift from being unbelieving believers to rejoicing recipients of the lavish grace of God that instead of it being, yes, but I might blow this. Yes, okay, this is great. I belong to Christ, but what if I actually don't belong to Christ? Like Paul's saying, oh, yes, this is all, this is all great, but you know, what if future Nick, future Nick deconstructs and ruins all of this, right? Like that yes, but thinking can ruin a, a reality that's coming in the future. And instead, we change that as, as believers, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and our security and our union with him. We change that to yes, and. Yes, and this is really true. Yes, and this is really happening. Yes, and this is really coming. And yes, therefore, I can rejoice in my suffering, knowing that this isn't the final say, that there's glory coming. And Paul's prayer Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesians is this. The, 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 Paul's prayer for the church uh, in Ephesus and around Ephesus is this. We saw this <clears throat> the first Sunday, talking about kind of this being the thesis statement for Ephesians. Watch this prayer, Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and in revelation the knowledge of him. Watch this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And watch this. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul needs. Paul is praying. Paul is interceding. Paul is going before the throne of God for the believers at Ephesus saying, God, help them to see what is rightfully theirs in Christ Jesus. Because if they can see it, if they can believe it, if they can have confident assurance in it, then all the persecution that's coming their way in Ephesus won't matter as much. It'll take the, the sting of death away, the sting of persecution away when they know that they know that they know. Like if I were to have all of you right now close your eyes, and you imagine that Jeff Bezos is your father, right? This is blasphemous. Don't do that. All right. 
But I would say you have, in X amount of years, you have, a, you have $600 billion coming your way. And you would sit in that, and you would say, okay, 15 years, I have $600 billion coming my way. $600 billion. I don't even know how, what I would do with that. And so you think about that, you reflect on that, and you go, okay, well, if that was a reality, how would I live my life? How would that change my present attitudes and actions? Oh, man, money's tight. Oh, retirement. Well, we already got a great retirement. Jesus fully funded it. It's amazing, right? I'm not saying be a bad financial steward. I'm not saying be a, a passive trust fund kid who doesn't labor on, his, on behalf of his father's kingdom. But I am saying that there is a present peace that the hope of future inheritance should bring us. And we are inheriting, what, you hear me this, we are inheriting something far greater than $600 billion. And so if anyone on the planet or there should be walking around in a healthy way, in humility, but also with their shoulders back and their chin up because their redemption is drawing near, it should be the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who when they see the news, they read the news, they're not shaken because they're inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Hebrews talks about. Um, and so what are the riches of this glorious inheritance and who's holding it? Like, is it God's work and will, or do we, can, we, can, we, can we mess this thing up? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, talking about the inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Watch this. To an inheritance. What kind of inheritance? It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who's guarding you? Who's guarding that inheritance? Who's protecting you? Who's actively at work in your life for your salvation? God is. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. God's guarding this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. He's prepared it, and he's seeing it through to completion. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, But as it is written, let God's word encourage your heart this morning, what no eye has seen, no eye, no earthly unglorified eye has seen. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of, a man, heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's his work. He's prepared it. It's all his work. We receive what he has acquired, what he has prepared. Philippians 1, 6, the news keeps on getting better. And Paul says, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a little uncertain about these believers at Philippi. I'm a little nervous about your salvation. Is that what he says? Oh, Philippians 1, 6, throw the verse up there. No, he says, I am sure of this. This ain't no Debbie Downer talking. This ain't no doubter. He's saying, I'm convinced. You can't unconvince me. I'm convinced of this. What are you convinced of? That the Lord who authored your salvation, he began the work in you, will bring it through to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying, I'm nervous about this. I got some concerns, Philippi. And here's the deal. You who began your salvation, I'm concerned if you're going to bring your own salvation that you authored to completion. That's not what he says. He says, the one who began the work in you, which is your salvation, will bring it through to completion. And so the hope that this brings us is that we're not the only ones working out our salvation. That the Holy Spirit is present with us and God has a strong will. And God is omnipotent. And the Holy Spirit is laboring and working. Jesus, the high priest, is interceding on our behalf. That which he began, he will bring through to full completion. Paul was convinced of that. Uh, Philippians, uh, sorry, Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Looking to Jesus, 
the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Other translations say the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ, what we learn here is Jesus Christ has authored our redemptive story, our redemption. He purchased it. He began it. And we talk about, <clears throat> say, say you know someone who wrote a book. They're starting to write a book. And all they have is the introduction, the table of contents and the introduction. And they started it, and they're writing it with a pen dripping with ink. And then you know this person, and then the audacity would be this person hands that pen and ink with the book that they authored, and they hand it to somebody else and say, hey, now you finish it. I have no idea how this story's going to end. But it's up to you now. I started it. It was my idea before the foundations of the world how salvation was going to come to humanity for the glory of my name forever. I authored it. But actually, you know, that's not how it works for you and me. It's, it's hey, I started, but I handed it over to you, and now I, take, I just take a big step back, and good luck. I have no idea how this is going to play out. That's not God's heart. He's, still, he's got the pen, and he's, he done purchased you. He done filled you with the spirit. He's had his eyes on you before time began, and he's going to bring it through to completion. So we need to stop doubting our God. That's his posture. Your salvation is going to publishing. It's going all the way. He's the author, and he's the perfecter. He's the finisher of your story. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, sure, all the while knowing that it's God who is actively at work. The powerful God, the omnipotent God, the God who has a strong will, who is actively at work in your life, laboring to bring your redemptive story to glory with him. And the reason I share all of this, there's just one thing I want. The one thing I want for us today is to just slow down and to think about, do we actually believe this? And if we actually believe this, what would change in our lives? Because it's true. It is all true. This is what Christ has done for us. So second point is this. Our inheritance is secure because it's our rightful due as sons and daughters. It's our rightful due as sons and daughters. Before you freak out, I've got some verses for you. All right. Sounds kind of, whoa, what do you mean by that? Ephesians 1.5, throw up that verse. Ephesians 1.5 says this. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And so the clear teaching in Scripture, if we are in Christ Jesus, theologians talk about that being our union with Christ. Once we enter into an eternal covenantal re relationship with Christ Jesus, that's irrevocable. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. But once we enter into that, we're recipients of every spiritual blessing that Christ has purchased for us. And, and one of those things is once we are in Christ, we become sons and daughters of God the Father. And what scripture lays out is that if we are sons and daughters, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of the Father's estate and heirs of the Father's riches. This is what scripture lays out in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. If you are a son, if you are a daughter, then you are an heir to what Christ has purchased for you. It's inevitable. So therefore, the security of our inheritance, whether our inheritance are secure or not, lies in our identity as sons and daughters. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And, it, then, and if children, then we are heirs. That's where the inheritance goes. From the father to the kids, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him, with him. How do you know your sons and daughters of the living God? If this world hates you and you suffer because of it. Because we don't belong to this world anymore. 
The believers in Ephesus were seen as enemies of the state, enemies of the god of Ephesus, Artemis. And therefore, a riot broke out with roughly 20,000 plus people uh, <clears throat> trying to persecute Christians. And get them. And if you don't see that coming in the West, and that's already here in certain circles, that's what it is. We're seen as enemy, enemies. We're seen as an evil presence. And also, suffering is one of the ways that it's, it verifies our authentic walk with Jesus, that we don't belong here. And, those, and anyway, so talking about that, that verse there, verse 17, if we suffer with him. Um, suffering verifies the authenticity of our identity as sons and daughters of God. Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says this, In the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And watch verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And we're talking more about the Holy Spirit inside of us, authenticating our salvation and our inheritance by crying out, Abba, Father. If a son, then an heir of everything that is your heavenly father's. And so that begs the question, well, what is our heavenly father's? What is our heavenly father's net worth? What is our heavenly father's real estate portfolio look like? He's got the Milky Way on his real estate portfolio, just, just to let you give you a heads up. Scriptures say he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. In Christ Jesus, the sin-cursed world, all what we talked about last week, Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to him. We are inheriting, we are the recipients of a new heavens and a new earth with no sin, no sickness, no division, no pain, no pandemics, a new heavens and a new earth as co-heirs. God is, Jesus Christ is gifting that to us. That's our inheritance. That's the fathers. We are the recipients of that. And the only reason that inheritance is secure is the owner of the estate of the new heavens and the new earth calls you daughter and calls you son. That's why you get it. You're adopted. You're sons and daughters. And your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And if you are a son and a daughter, then you are an heir of all things. You are an heir of the new heavens and the new earth. And so my, uh, my pops, <clears throat> if you see him, it's his birthday today, so give him a big high five. He's 45. So, um, <laughs> But my pops, <clears throat> I think before I was born, bought a cabin in the woods like two hours away in the Shenandoah Valley. And then uh, a few years back, bought another cabin next to it. And it's like my favorite place on planet Earth. Um, men's ministry, we might be going there in the fall. So yeah, another men's retreat there is going to be exciting. And um, my favorite place on Earth is that place on that back balcony, spending time with the Lord. The Lord always meets me there. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely, it's my favorite place ever. It's awesome. Um, let the record show, I've contributed nothing really to that cabin besides, besides showing up, enjoying it, uh, keep my dad good company when we're there maybe moving some sticks, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but it was his work that acquired it. And it was, as far as I know, because that man calls me son, that the kids, the mothers of kids are receiving that inheritance. That I don't, I can't like say I have it now, but I know that, that that's mine. That belongs to me. Why? Because of my father. And that guy calls me son. And therefore, because he calls me son, those cabins, that paradise on earth, that place where heaven meets the earth, speaking personally, that's mine. 
is coming to me, and it's simply because my identity as a son. He said, no, yeah, yeah, oh, we need to talk, okay. <laughs> Maybe it was after that joke I got written out of the will, okay, okay, so. <laughs> Should have run that one by you, Pops, all right. <clears throat> John 14, one through three says this. Watch this, this is how it starts. Present attitude and actions being changed by the assurance of future glory that Christ has purchased for us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus in the upper room. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Jesus is telling his disciples, you got to believe this. Actively fight against the inner Debbie doubter. The inner Debbie doubter. Believe. It's an act of the will. Believe. You can, you can believe this. You can fight away the lies. You can believe. Trust in me. Trust in God. Trust in my goodness and my posture towards you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says here to the disciples in the upper room, the only thing I'm telling you to do about your inheritance is not worry until I make sure you get it. That's what he's saying. I'm coming back for you. I went before you. I'm going before you on my death. I'm going to be nailed to the cross tomorrow night. He's talking in the upper room to his disciples. But I'm going to rise again in three days and then I'm coming back for you. I've gone and prepared a place for you, and then I will come. Who's, whose work is this? Who's will? I will come, and I will bring you back to where I am, because I've gone and prepared a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Is what Jesus says. And, and meanwhile, the only thing Jesus is saying, meanwhile, just chill. <laughs> Rejoice. Don't be so anxious. Don't be so concerned. You have a beautiful inheritance coming, and let that do something. In our hearts, believe in God, believe in me, let us do something in our hearts. Last point. Point number three. Our inheritance is secure because it's already been pledged and guaranteed to us by God. Verse 13. In him you also. When you see this language, we're going to talk about this in Ephesians 2, Jew-Gentile distinction. Paul's talking about kind of the order of salvation, how when he says you also, he's speaking to um, uh, Gentile believers. And before that, he's talking about we who were the first to hope in Jesus. He's talking about Jewish believers, and now he's talking about Gentile believers, okay? So when you see you also, he's talking about these Gentile Ephesian believers. And how although they're Gentiles, they, they have the same inheritance in Christ Jesus. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we see this beautiful breakdown of the Ephesian believer's salvation. And notice here, he says previously, he says, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. But then he goes and says something that sounds a lot like man's responsibility to respond to the preaching of the gospel. He says, when you heard the gospel preached and you believed in him, you responded to the preaching of the gospel. Is God sovereign and does man have a free will, a choice? And the answer, scripture says, in Ephesians chapter 1 is yes. Upon the hearing of the preaching of the word, we are, there's, a, there's an unction. There's, a, there's an interceding from the person preaching. Get right with God. Don't harden your hearts. Respond. Give your life to him. And this is what Paul is saying. And at that point of salvation where they bent their knee to Jesus, received his redeeming uh, love and forgiveness and salvation, and confessed his lordship in their life, at that moment what we see is this. They were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. You and I receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, at conversion. Um, there's a whole lot of debate on baptism of the Spirit and all that stuff, and uh, we talked about that in our Acts sermon series. Um, but you and I, you cannot be saved unless you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the redeeming work of Jesus to your life. He makes you dead things to life and cleanses us and fills us with the presence of God. That's how we're saved. At that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, um, you might think of a seal <laughs> today of, you know, like, uh, you go to like, uh, I won't go there. Sorry, never mind. All right. <laughs> um, the first century context of a seal, when Paul's writing this, is this. A seal was an official mark of identification that was placed on a letter or legal documents. And this seal was usually made from hot wax, which was placed on the document and then impressed with a signet ring, like Yeti here, okay? Like, so imagine King Yeti comes, and here's this cup, and then he just, when, his, when the, the, the paint is still wet, and he presses his ring into this, forever marking this, what? This is Yeti, right? Belongs to King Yeti. Um, and so that's, that's, that's what a seal was. Another way that that word was used, the other way it was, was branding. So when a cattle gets, you know, burnt with the mark of its owner, that's also the first century context of this word seal. So two things this implies. One, a seal implies ownership. Whatever has this mark or this seal on it belongs to me. And so at salvation, when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, King Jesus, in the, the hot wax of your heart, presses his signet king of kings ring on your heart and says of your life, this one belongs to me. Mine. Forever. Boom. Marked. In Christ. On your heart. Sealed. Ownership. So it implies ownership that you no longer belong to you. You belong to Jesus. Thank God I don't own to me. Thank God that I'm held fastly in his hands. The second thing it implies is authenticity. Authenticity. Um, that uh, what we know here because of this brand, it's trademarked. This isn't a knockoff. I didn't get this from Walmart, right? Although Walmart ones are just as great, all right? I'm not knocking on Walmart, all right? But it, this is authentically Yeti, right? Uh, today I took some Manuka, anyone here, like Manuka honey fans? You know, yeah, I got one. Some of you are like, I don't even know what Manuka honey is. Don't worry about it. It's super expensive, all right? Um, and I didn't buy it. It was bought for me, all right? It's New Zealand honey. It's like, you know, it's, it's from New Zealand, and it's supposed to have these really, like, really good qualities if you have, like, a really bad throat thing going on, and, you know, antiviral. All this is supposed to be, like, super, 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 super healthy, and therefore it's really, really expensive, and therefore there's been lots of copycats who are dishing out fake honey, calling it Manuka honey, and selling it for, you know, copious amounts of money and making a ton of money. And so as I, this morning, was taking off the Manuka honey, I saw it had this seal, this, this verification on it of all, like a letter M plus symbol and then like whatever. And it was like, this has been certified. It's authentic. It's real. It's not fake. It's not a knockoff. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. And so when you and I as salvation receive the Holy Spirit, that is the authenticity of your salvation. That it's the real deal. God has really saved you. And if he's really saved you, he's really going to bring it through to completion. Well, that begs the question. Well, how do I know I have the presence of God in my life? How do, I and how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? And I think one of the key identifying markers that you and I have the presence of God inside of us is conflict, is battle. There's a lot of beautiful things, right? But what I'm getting, I want to focus on this. Because a lot of believers who are struggling and wrestling with uh, 
with besetting sins. They, they, they use that as evidence to doubt their salvation. And what I say, no, it's the opposite. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit's inside of you and the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. Galatians 5, right? Live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, <clears throat> and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Romans 6, all, Paul, I mean, Paul talks about it beautifully. And so I think some of the key evidences of us being filled with the spirit of God and being saved is one, is the sin, um, you begin to hate the sin you once loved. You begin to hate the sin you once loved, and you begin to love the God you once hated. And so when you come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden the, the sins that you used to enjoy and, and relish and now sometimes disgust you, or, or they, there's diminishing returns on that, and it grieves your heart, and there's, 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 a, there's a beautiful conviction and, and a beautiful godly guilt that comes over you when you transgress God's law that leads to repentance, right? You're, you're no longer okay with things you used to be okay with. And then more than that, more than that, that's called mortification, that's called killing the flesh. But then there's this beautiful thing called, theologians call vivification, which is putting on Christ, which is all of a sudden now you begin to love the things of God. You begin to love the Bible you once mocked. You begin to love singing to the Lord when you used to mock believers for singing love songs to Jesus, right? You begin to love serving God's church and, and all of these things of the faith. You begin to love them. And so I think one of the key evidences of the indwelling presence of God is that there's this beautiful battle of wills going on in our hearts right now by the Spirit inside of us. And so uh, for some of you here, uh, if you lived um, as a single person your entire life and then you like went to college and got a roommate, you had a huge wake-up call, right? Because before, when you were living on your own, there was one will in that house, you could set the temp, the thermostat to what you wanted to set. You could rearrange the room however you wanted to do it. You could play the music as loud as you wanted to do it. But then all of a sudden you get some roommates or married couples. Where are you at on this one? And all of a sudden we have, different, we have two wills there. You got somebody else in the house and say, no, I like the thermostat this way. You're like, whoa, wait a second. I, wait, wait, well, there's a conflict here. Wait, wait, I can't play my music this loudly at 11 p.m. at night because it bothers you. Like, what's going on? So when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, the Holy Spirit at salvation moves into your heart. One, the seal of the Holy Spirit says, you now belong to me. This is my house. And so this is what I like the thermostat at. You know, this is what I like to do with our time, right? And the Holy Spirit uh, is all-powerful, right, according to the power I work with him. But God has a strong will. And thank God he does, because now that Holy Spirit is going to be constantly uh, uh, pinning our sinful flesh to the mat and saying, as we cry out, Abba, Father, let your will be done. And the sinful flesh will be chirping from the mat, no, do this, no, do this. And the Holy Spirit will be, you know, putting him on the mat saying, you, you be quiet, right? So it's that battle of wills that is the authenticity of our salvation. So I want to infuse hope in you that if you're here today and you feel this struggle and you feel a good godly guilt, a good conviction of sin, that is very well the presence of the Holy Spirit saying this thing in your life is grieving me and I'm calling you to something far better which is righteousness in me that leads to life. Romans 8, 13 through 15. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. He's writing to believers. But if by the Spirit, you see the, the, the evidence of a battle there, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Conviction is a beautiful blessing because conviction is godly guilt that the, whole, the presence of God brings us that leads us to life. God doesn't want us to die. God doesn't want us to be miserable. God doesn't want us to pull up hell into our lives. Therefore, he convicts us of sin that leads to death so we can turn from our sin, repent, and be uh, uh, on the path towards life and righteousness. For, you, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, 
Father. So all that to say, if your spirit today inside of you during worship and last night in prayer or tomorrow morning on your commute is crying out, Abba, Father, then you have the presence of God inside of you. You're being led by the Spirit to put sin to death, to obey God, and this is the confirmation, the seal, that you are marked as a child of God forever. But the news keeps on getting better. The second thing, and I'm wrapping up with this, the second thing that Paul says is the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation, but also the pledge. The guarantee, verse 14 says this, it'll be on the screen, verse 14. The Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In ancient commercial transactions, this term of guarantee, another word for it, it's pledge, signified a first installment, uh, a down payment, a deposit that pays a part of the purchase price in advance and therefore secures a legal claim on the object being purchased. A modern-day example could be a mortgage, right? Some of you are like, oh, man, don't talk about my mortgage, Nick. I'm trying to, okay, anyways. But with a mortgage, to the lender, you put like 20% down, and that legally binds you. That's the first installment of the payment, and you're saying for 30 years, I, um, at, at this interest rate, I, uh, I legally bind myself to say I will pay this off. If, I, if you receive the down payment, the 10, 20%, mark my words, I'm legally binding myself to you saying the rest is coming. And so what the Father is saying, if you have received the Holy Spirit, that's the first installment, and that's God's promise to you. Notice, guarantee to you, the rest is coming, my children. The rest is coming. That's his promise, his pledge to you. That's God. God's presence. And so it begs the question, well, if that's the first installment, well, what's the rest of what's coming? What's fascinating is that the pledge, the, the down payment God gives of us, of our inheritance, is himself. Our inheritance is not what we get, it's who we get. Uh, God is the gospel. The gospel is that we get God. The gospel is that we get God. We get his presence. And we see in part, we know in part, um, we receive his spirit uh, for, uh, I don't know if I want to say that, but um, in we will receive the fullness of his glory in glorified body come the new heavens and the new earth, come the inheritance. And right now we see him and we know him and we experience his presence in part. And Psalm 1611 says this about God's presence. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. The joy of heaven is not the cloud with the harp and the delicious grapes. The joy of heaven is God's presence. Revelation 21.3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Why? So that where he is, we can be also. And where he is, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's why we raise our hands and we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Fast forward, let's get a glimpse of what is coming. And band, you can come on up as we segue into communion. But I want to challenge us, and this is what I was reflecting on too, is we thank God for a lot of things in our life, but have you ever thanked God for his presence inside of you? 
Have you and I as believers ever stopped and slowed down and said, thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of me? The Holy Spirit who brought me from death to life. The Holy Spirit who leads and guides me to put sin to death in my life and to live to glorify you. The, the Holy Spirit who, who when the, 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 the filling of that Spirit comes, there's true joy and, and peace and, and love. Uh, have we thanked God for the, the fact that wherever we go, in this room or back home, when we go out to the streets or for the prayer walk this afternoon, that you're never alone, that God is present with you to lead you, to comfort you, to guide you. That's where he wants to be is where you are. And he's as close as possible to you. And heaven is him dwelling with us and us with him forever. And so with that said, um, Let's thank God today. Twice in our text, it says that all of this is to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That God has revealed his glory to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is God being glorified. And as God has revealed the glory of his grace that he's poured out on us in Christ Jesus, the response is an overflow of praising him for the glory that we've been shown. The grace that we've been shown. And... Um, Last week, as I'll close with this, last week as we were taking communion, um, I was uh, praying and asking the Lord, you know, Lord, is there anything you want to say before I take communion? And I want to make sure my heart's right. And and I want to make sure, you know, that as I come and and table fellowship with you, that if there's anything that you want to say before I celebrate the work that you've done, Jesus, you say that. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm not really hearing anything. But the second with communion that I opened up the top lid. I was just ready to, to eat and worship, right? And I pulled off the top lid, unsol- kind of unsolicited. I wasn't praying at that point. All of a sudden, I got this immediate impression from the Lord. It was like the Lord communicated this truth. I didn't really hear, hear anything, but all of a sudden, I had this knowing that I know that I know, and I felt it was the Lord speaking to me, saying this as I peel back <clears throat> the, the communion that symbolized the giving of God's, God the Father's Son for us. And the second I peeled back that lid, I felt this impression from the Lord. Nick, if I have given you the gift of my son, why would you ever worry again about your future provision in my life? If I have already given you that which is most precious to me, if Jesus Christ has already come and and the Father has already lavished his grace upon you, already given you my son, what are you believing about what I'm gonna do in the future for you? What are you believing about my heart posture towards you? And so let's go to prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for communion. And let me pray for us right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, your heart for us is that our hearts wouldn't be troubled. And then you tell us the reason why our hearts shouldn't be troubled is because you've prepared something amazing for us. You've come before us. And Lord, I really want people to be leaving here today with no more doubts, no more unbelief, no more heaviness, God. So come, Holy Spirit, open up our eyes to live in light of the glory of your gospel, the glory of your goodness, the glory of your presence. We've already received the gift of your presence, which is the guarantee that we will be beholding your presence, enjoying your presence for all of eternity. So come, Holy Spirit, would you infuse in your people today trust 
the gift of faith. Open up our eyes to see that you are trustworthy. You're worthy of our trust, that you will fulfill your pledge to us. You will fulfill your promise to us. That you who began our salvation, you will bring it through to completion. Lord, wash away anxiety today. And doubt and unbelief, come Holy Spirit. And I'll exit stage left with this prayer, Lord God, as we take communion. Lord Jesus, will we be reminded that if you are the God who has given us your son, which this meal commemorates and we celebrate the redemption we have in his blood and his body given to us, how much more will you give us all things? Why would we ever doubt your goodness again? Why would we ever doubt your provision? Why would we doubt our future? Why would we be remotely scared for one second of our lives when you've done nothing but shout and scream in the best sense of the term? at us saying, hey, I've given you my son. I've given you everything. How much more will I give you other things that you need? So open up our eyes, God. May we praise you rightly and respond accordingly to the grace you've shown us, leaving here knowing that my future is secure, my future is certain, and it's all of your work, God, and it's all that you've done in Christ Jesus. And so we bless your name, God. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, take communion, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to our hearts, you would speak to us, Lord God, and that we would remember, um, we would remember, Lord Jesus, the finality of our salvation. You cried out on the cross, it is finished. Thank you, Lord, that you're the author of our faith and you're the finisher of our faith. Be glorified today in our lives, be glorified in our hearts, be glorified in our mindsets, Lord God. Faith glorifies you as a God who's worthy of our trust. Confidence in you glorifies you as a God who will fulfill his word and pledge and promise to us. So Lord, may you be glorified today in how you, Holy Spirit, search our hearts. And Lord, you lead us in repentance from doubt and unbelief to glorifying you as a God who's worthy of our trust and worthy of our confidence. So continue to fellowship with God in prayer as you feel led take communion, and then we'll close with a couple songs of praise.